Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. What's up, Browns fans? Hope you guys are doing well out there in Browns land. Um, today, I am joined with Josh Finney, and uh, we are your uh, host today for our, our all things Browns off-season discussion. And, uh, you know, Josh and I were talking before the podcast today and, uh, you know, we'd like to try to get together once a month, maybe twice a month if things get exciting during the season uh, to bring you our thoughts and our analysis. Um, so, Josh, thanks a lot for, uh, for jumping on the podcast today. I know, um, you know, we usually come in armed with all sorts of research and film study and all this, uh, you know, good stuff. And not that today isn't going to be filled with good stuff, but, you know, today we're kind of just uh, – I don't know. It's one of those unusual days. We just want to talk football, have a couple beers, uh, and just maybe throw out some takes that generally don't don't suck. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Josh, thanks thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I mean, I'm good. <laughs> this uh, this podcast will be live in a couple days, so so we clear the blast radius by the time you guys listen to it from the LeBron fallout. For but uh, but the the best uh, yeah. the best salve for the the LeBron wounds will definitely be talking about the team that's sure to make us forget about uh, the legacy in the last championship parade as we get ready for the next one, right? That's right. We found that I found it ironic that we, uh, we had kind of identified that, Hey, let's, let's talk about the bronze to, to cure our, you know, our woes about losing LeBron. That's um, yeah. Let's hope that happens here in 2018. But uh, with that, with that said, what I, you know, what I want to start off with um, is, you know, the first topic of discussion for me. And as I, you know, the offseason kind of unfolded and the craziness with, you know, the, the change again of the general manager, uh, you know, with, with Dorsey coming in and, and Sashi Brown leaving and all that other stuff. You know, um, I, I was really down and out about the team, to be honest. And I, I really wasn't uh, I wasn't going to be sold on anything until I actually saw results. Right. And, and, and Dorsey's track record wasn't uh, wasn't exciting for me. So, you know, I can't say enough, to be honest, about Dorsey and what he's done to the roster. The the complete turnaround that he's that he's done, at least on paper, uh, for for me looking at it from, you know, from a talent perspective, uh, just I'm stoked. Um, you know, we look, I look at it, and let's kind of go down the list here. We can we can break it down a little bit, but you know, we've added two quarterbacks, um, two solid, if not you know, soon to be very solid starting quarterbacks on on a roster that's been deprived of quarterbacks for decades. Uh, so right there in and of itself, that's, uh, you know, a huge attempt and a huge stride at, at addressing the key position on, on the football field. And then you go down the line and we've added two running backs, at least two wide receivers, um, you know, legitimate ones, um, a couple, two, three offensive linemen. I count about six or seven uh, defensive backs, uh, one solid tight end and two linebackers. So totally new lineup, uh, totally new roster. And um, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts about about the roster and about John Dorsey and, and, and kind of what uh, what's transpired so far? So, so we traded some fun text messages about this today because um, 
we're, we're at the point. We're at we're at the end of June, uh, beginning of July, when you know the Browns fans start to to get to peak hype because like the Super Bowl is the draft, and then we had a, a, a an OTAs and a session where like everything was positive, everything was glowing, and there was no drama. There was no players getting suspended, except for what's his name Stevenson, who nobody cares about. Um, there was no fights. There was nobody getting arrested. It was great. It was it was just sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. Um, and, and to a greater or lesser right. extent, um, I, I hear you and I'm also drinking the Kool-Aid in that, like, I think that this is the first time as, uh, following this team that, that, that there's more than one deep on the depth chart there. And there is a, um, an exciting player or an exciting group of players at every position group. Um, obviously like no team is perfect and everyone has their gripes with the roster, but what John Dorsey did do, at least on paper is he established NFL level talent, whether it's, you know, up and coming or an established veteran at every single position. And he went about establishing depth so that, you know, if a defensive back goes down, a defensive lineman goes down, offensive lineman goes down, you're not immediately rolling to practice squad players. So, so that's exciting. And and I'm excited with you about that. I do think it's funny that you just mentioned that the Browns got two quarterbacks and somewhere Drew Stanton is listening to our podcast and it's just, (laughs) it's just bummed to be left out of the list. Yeah, I'm sorry, Drew. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> I, you know, and, and to be honest, though, enough can't be said about what he's probably going to be doing with, with Baker Mayfield in addition to Tyrod Taylor. So, I mean, he's certainly going to have a, an integral part, uh, maybe not in, you know, that reflects on the field on Sundays this season, but, um, you know, some of his hopefully insight can be transmitted over to one Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, that can help his, his growth curve as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that it's nice to have that like kind of player coach personality as as a third quarterback on the roster. You want a guy that has a little bit of experience, has has experienced at least a modicum of success, but also knowing like that if the guy has to make a spot start, if the Browns feel a, a certain kind of way about you know early in the season giving somebody a couple snaps and they don't want to throw uh, Baker to the to to the Wolves and get him in there, it's nice to know you're not throwing like a Ken Dorsey. In, in, in the gameplay. You have a guy that's uh, had to make spot starts before. can be ready on a moment's notice. He's been around the re- league for a long time. So he really, like, he's not going to be good at any of the things that we're describing. Like, this isn't a guy that, like, is going to step in and carry Timo's back. He's not a guy that everyone has talked about in terms of, like, oh, I can't wait for this guy to be my next quarterback coach. But he's professional. He knows his role. He's excited. He's, he's happy about the role. And, uh, and he, what he does, and this is something that I like to talk about, like, Every single guy going through reps in camp is making the guys around him better. Like, even if you're with the third team guys, you're out here running the offense and you're able to execute some of the successful passing concepts. Can you imagine being out there with, like, the Kevin Hogan's and the Alex Tannies of the world, like, just trying to get through the plays and trying to survive, you know, August days in camp and, like, make things happen? Like, at least um, the, the capability and the respectability of that third unit is, is firmly established with a guy like Drew Stanton. Yeah, no, I, I, I see you're going all in on the Drew, the, the, the Drew Stanton. I like it. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Now from every level, right. From every position on the quarterback depth chart, at least hopefully we can, we can run, um, you know, run things at, at a professional level. Right. And, and so everyone benefits from that, um, and so, you know, 
speaking of, of everyone benefiting from something, um, and I guess looking at where the team is at, <clears throat> there seems to be a, a really consistent message that I've been hearing from the players, from, from the, you know, the talking heads in Berea, from the coaches even, and all these, like you said, uh, you know, utopian type um, uh, off-season uh, organized activities and, and whatnot that the teams are going through. Um, you know, everything right now is very confident and very positive out of Berea. And I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's lining up and I don't know if it's all, it's all lining up on the count of this, but I, you know, I kind of want to get your take on the whole hard knock situation, right? Um, because here we are obviously coming off of a one in 31 stretch, uh, one of the worst stretches, if not the worst stretch ever in, in, in modern football history. And right now we're, we're going to be featured on this, this show. And some of the people, you know, some of the detractors are always going to be a distraction and, you know, people are going to want to be in the spotlight and it's going to take away from the real focus in camp and all these different things. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be an opportunity for, for fans to get a closer look at what actually does happen. Um, like they said, you know, what happens inside this terrible organization. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what, what does happen. How, you know, what is Hugh Jackson like as a coach? What are these coaches like when they interact with players? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what, you know, what we're going to see in, you know, into the, the Browns um, organization that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm just cautiously optimistic. I know we talked about that. I think right now everything is just, you know, it's just words. Um, it's it's going to be a whole different story once the season comes around. But um, yeah, well, what what are your takes on 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 that situation with this team and, and the situation they're in? You know, after after winning one game in two years, like I have a hard time getting really bent out of shape about hard knocks. And I think that the the quote that I liked the most about hard knocks was when somebody said, "Every Browns fan wants to watch hard hard knocks. Every Browns fan wants to watch you know extra footage of the team and see you know pull back the curtain and see what's going on behind closed doors." Every Browns fan, with few exceptions, is not super thrilled about the idea of Greg Williams jacking his jaw and, and throwing out, like, ridiculous sayings and, like, the, the camera crew going through Berea and seeing all the misquoted stuff on the walls. Like, we don't want the whole world to see the nonsense when it exists, but I think that we're all very excited to see extra Browns footage, to see extra Browns stuff. So, like I said, like, I just want to see this team win some games, and I'm not really going to get bent out of shape about um, – hard knocks or think that it in any way, shape or form is really going to be a distraction. These guys are professionals. Um, they are able to do their job without um, really impacting the, the pace of play or the, the schedule or practice or anything like that. So um, I'm not really worried about it impacting their ability to win games. So I just like, I want to see them get to a point where we don't all say, Oh God, what is the world going to see as a result of this? Right. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a, uh... You know, that, that's a good point, and I don't want I don't want to gripe on and, and and kind of beat this into into the ground. I mean, I, I I agree with you. I'm excited to see the the insight into the team. I'm excited to see kind of you know a little bit more right than we usually see. Um, I I believe that I'd like to believe here I am going to lead into this next. You know, what's your your fanboy selection, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you know, I believe that kind of stuff is behind us with some of the, the previous regimes and, you know, misquotes and I mean, things like that, that, uh, you know, kind of paint, paint you in a bad way and give you a black eye. So we have enough of that on the field. Um, <laughs> but with, with, with that said, uh, so I want you to give me your rookie 
quote unquote fanboy selections. And I also want to dive into maybe your, your free agent fanboy selections for the year on both offense and defense. So, um, yeah, why don't, why don't we start with offense and why don't we start with your, your fanboy rookie selection? Who, who is it and why? So I'm going to answer your question with a question a little bit. Like I, I was All thinking right. about this today. Like, are you allowed to root for guys that you liked coming out of college that you were really hoping your team would draft as they move into their next life on a different team other than team you follow? Sure. I mean, of course. I think so you're allowed I, to. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of griping and pushback on on social media over the years about um, rooting for guys because you like them in college or because you like their college team and and then what happens when dudes go to the league like I spent so much time watching game film of guys like Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota and I know you did the same thing with uh, Pat Mahomes as you tried to kill the internet with gifts um, of, of, <laughs> of like literally every play he ever ran in college um, but. Yep. Like, I, I watch these guys because whether you want to consider yourself a professional writer or a scout or whatever, um, you, you want to say, like, I've got a good eye for looking for specific traits or things. Um, watching these guys as they transition into being professional football players, like, is always going to inspire a sense of curiosity. Um, and so this year, especially, um, you know, most uh, most most people who follow the Cleveland Browns looked at this as the make or break off season, and so there was a really high level of attention with two first round draft picks, um, and uh, you know the addition of Todd Haley as an offensive coordinator uh, for for how they were going to approach that. Um, so so for me, I will always be very interested in this quarterback class, um, probably more than any in all the time that we spent doing this. We've been doing this for what six seven years now. Um, I think yep. that two thousand four. Yeah, I think 2014 and, and this previous year's draft will be the two years that I'll, I'll watch the quarterbacks, no matter where they went, because they were guys that, like, the Browns had every opportunity to grab um, and had such a diverse skill set, and they, they really um, were kind of like the Rorschach test for what you look for in quarterbacking play. So I think that with the addition of Pat Mahomes, the guys this year, I'll always want to see how they turn out. I'll always want to, to do the what-ifs and wonder. Uh, and, and we both know from – from the big quarterback podcast that we recorded um, back in March that, that I'm a big um, Josh Rosen guy. So I guess if, if we're going to talk offensive fanboying, I, I will be very, very interested to see how that plays out in Arizona. I think that's a team that, that um, has a lot of really interesting pieces. It, it has an easier on-ramp than, than some teams as far as uh, settling in offensively. Um, and, and I'll be really curious to see how that plays out. Right on. No, I, and I, I, I agree. I think you, you hit one of my thoughts on, on the head with that is that I think back to our to our podcast post fake missile from Korea crisis in Hawaii. <laughs> um, I think back to that podcast and, and some of the, the, the breakdowns and stuff that we did uh, with all four of the of the elite quarterbacks. Sorry, Josh Allen, you, you weren't included. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of intrigue around that position that I think, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'll be following. Obviously, Baker Mayfield, um, as we focus on the Browns today, is, is one of those um, one of those players. But for, for me, and then I, I want to bring it back to you to, to bring it back to the Browns. Um, for me, it's, it's Antonio Callaway. Um, I think he's obviously had his 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 history. I, I'm rooting for him as an individual to kind of get his life together. I know he's had some, you know, some good mentorship um, across the last maybe six months or so. 
Um, yeah, really, really hoping he can turn the corner and really hoping, to be honest, that you know Josh Gordon can be a good influence for him because <laughs> again, his, 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 talent, his talent level is, is off the charts. And, and, and I know you laugh, and, and I've been – there was a point in time when I was a big, you know, free Josh Gordon guy, and over time that kind of wore thin my, you know, my – my hope that he was going to get chucked together kind of wore thin. And obviously, ultimately, we saw all the suspensions roll out. But I think ac- across so far, knock on wood, and I am literally knocking on wood over here, um, you know, he, he continues down the path he's on because he is primed both what he looks like physically uh, and, and from what I can tell in his interviews and, and whatnot, he's just a, a totally different kind of changed, focused man. And, and it's good to see. And, and, I, and I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is I hope that he can kind of guide him towards making those better decisions to, to skip some of the, the, the middle steps, right. That, that he had to go through because again, for me, his talent's off the charts. I'm excited to see what he can do. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, yeah, he can, he can stay on that path for us as a, as a rookie and beyond. Um, so let's talk about Callaway for a minute. Cause I think he's a really interesting test case. Um, I've got a I've got a buddy who um, is from the Gainesville area, went to Florida, like diehard Gators guy, um, and so he gives me more info than I'd ever possibly ever want to know about the Florida Gators. And um, at, he's a, he's a he's a Patriots football fan, which is kind of a travesty in and of itself. But um, he really wanted the Patriots, even knowing what he knows about Callaway, he really wanted the Patriots to draft uh, Callaway. And and obviously that's an organization that that is kind of well known for taking some shots on disgruntled, um, disenchanted type players, guys with, 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 you know, off the field histories and turning them around. Um, the Corey Dillons, the Randy Mosses, you know, the, 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 the laundry list goes on and on. So, um, obviously he's got a good reason and good perspective for that, but, um, he loved the kid's talent coming out. Um, and he was, uh, he was very big on that pick. He thought that the Browns had gotten real value when they, when they ended up picking him up. All that being said, um, I remain one of the last people on the island that thinks that, that Corey Coleman is due to have an enormous breakout. Um, I think that the GM, I think that Sashi Brown and the people that were in place drafted Corey Coleman, knowing that coming out of Baylor, like he was a pretty raw wide receiver and that he only mm-hmm. ran a couple different routes um, and that he was going to take time to develop into a professional who ran, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Brout, Chris Brout trees, um, got used to the timing of a standard NFL offense. I, I always kind of expected him to take some time, to, to grow into the kind of player that he was, but I always loved the raw talent that you saw on tape. And that isn't just tape that you saw at the college level. There were, there are games that you can pick and choose from where you see him making tough contested catches. You see him um, making sharp cuts and, and kind of uh, creating separation with his quickness and his speed. So um, I really, really, really feel uncomfortable about the general thought that I see repeated pretty frequently that the Browns need to get some talent and get some return from Corey Coleman now in a trade so that they can give Callaway playing mm. time. I think that Callaway mm. probably in a best case scenario for me is the fifth or sixth guy on the team that's, that's getting targets or that, that that's getting snaps. Um, that That's getting snaps in a position where he's going to receive passes. I would love to see him integrate slowly and, and be kind of a, a reserve case option for a year while he learns how to be a professional, while he proves that he can keep himself clean. Because this Browns team, I think it's very easy to say, um, has a lot of question marks, both from a health standpoint and from a um, availability standpoint at wide receiver. And I want to see them with a deep roster, you know, a, 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 a deep um, 
a deep pack of wide receivers that they can plug and play rather than depending on somebody like a Josh Gordon, like a Antonio Callaway that just, um, you know, have a history of not necessarily being that reliable. Um, I think that the best organizations, the reliable organizations, the mature organizations find a way to bring these guys along slowly instead of uh, counting on them to be available um, and then, and then being disappointed and not having a backup plan when things go south. Absolutely. I agree. And, and all that being said, I just want to make it crystal clear that I am um, firmly in the camp that we should not be trading Corey Coleman and we should be giving him a chance to, to, to show us what he can do. Cause I, I, like you pointed out, I've seen him open multiple times on routes that are quarterbacks in the past year. Um, and when he's been healthy on the field, I should say have, have missed him. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do, but in terms of rookies and I, and I got my expectations aren't that, aren't that high for Callaway this year. But what I do want to see is what he can bring and, yeah. and how he does look on the field when he does get looks, because I think he's an electric playmaker who over time, like you're saying, can eventually become uh, you know, a, a threat, a consistent threat on, on the roster should, should those other things, you know, pan out. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's my, that's my guy on offense for, um, for the rookies. Um, what about on defense for you on the Browns? Um, what about rookie, uh, you know, additions? Who who are you the most excited about? Um, you know, every position group on defense, with the exception of the defensive line, is is absolutely stacked right now. Um, and it's a really weird feeling when I say stacked. I don't necessarily mean like, oh my God, we're stacked like the Rams are stacked. Like we may not have a line with Ndamukong Sue and, and Aaron Donald. But if you look at every position no. group outside, <laughs> if you look at every position group outside of the defensive <laughs> line, cornerbacks, defensive backs, linebackers, like there is multiple guys that can play at each position. Um, and that is a really weird feeling to me, you know, as, as somebody who's been following this team for a long time, because it always seems like we enter the season with one guy kind of penciled in for each position. And then, either late round draft picks or never was type free agents penciled in behind them. So it's really exciting to me that should Derek Kindred get hurt, like he has a want to do, or, you know, one of the, the cornerbacks fall out um, in training camp that there's going to be an immediate guy to step up. Um, I know you're a huge fan of, I think that he's a really fun guy in defense. I think the easy answer to that question is Denzel Ward, who I absolutely loved uh, at Ohio state. And I think, out of the last three or four years was one of the more exciting cornerbacks to watch there as far as guys who could just stick like glue to somebody. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited to see if, uh, if, if Greg Williams can kind of rein himself in and play a defense that allows these guys to succeed. Yeah. Let's, let, let's put a pin in that topic. Cause I, I have that one queued up for later as a discussion <laughs> point, if we get, if, if we get to it, but uh, you know, clearly Ward is Ward is that elite, you know, athletic type of guy. I'm stoked to see him on the field. Um, I, I, you know, I like what you point out. It's going to, you know, come down to really how he's used and hopefully he can be used properly. Uh, but for, for me, you know, a guy that I really like is Avery. Um, really liked his film. Kind of reminded me, I, he's, he's, he's not as versatile as, 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 you know, a curtsy, right? But for some of the things that I saw when I did my, my film review on curtsy, you know, his rookie season, before his rookie season, um, kind of stuck out to me when I watched Avery play. And that is just, he has a, a knack and an instinct to get downhill, to clear through trash, find the hole and, 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 you know, make contact with the runner at or behind the line of scrimmage. He's also got some really good athletic 
uh, features to him. I mean, he's he's fast. He, he really has a couple of explosive steps that, that get him downfield quickly, but he's also able to drop in coverage. So um, I'm, I'm not saying that he's going to be uh, an instant contributor from, from day one or he's going to be a stud, you know, in his rookie season, but I am uh, pretty excited to see, you know, where his, uh, his career trajectory goes um, on, on the Browns and how he fits in both on special teams as well as uh, in sub packages. Yeah. Um, so cool, man. So how about, how about free agent guys? So let's talk about free agents on offense and defense real quick. Um, you know, who, who are you the most excited about who uh, Dorsey's added since that this, this kind of summing up the topic of, of Dorsey's turnaround on the roster. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is the year that we look back on, like, that 2008 year with Savage. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to, like, kill the good vibes. Like, I'm just wondering if this is the year. Like, they spent so much goddamn money on free agents this year. It's just wild to me to be like, oh, who's your favorite free agent? Let me pick from this pool <laughs> of literally, what, right. like, 15 guys that they added to the roster that were new additions from, from the end of last year. They For the most part, they kept the young guys that had been brought in for the last two or three years, um, but they just added depth or added a, 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 a competitor at every single position. Um, I think that, yep. um, I think that the free agents that I, that I like the most are all defensive backs, which may be a little bit weird. Um, I'm not huge on the impact of a guy that I think is going to play, play primarily out of the slot in Jarvis Landry. I think that Jarvis Landry is going to be a great player in as much as he provides a measure of reliability and uh, consistency. Um, the guy doesn't miss practices. The guy doesn't miss catches. Like he is going to be what he does every day, every snap, and that's going to be great for the um, the psyche of a team that tends to fall apart and tends to have trouble yep. late in games when it's close. And I love that. But I think that as far as impact goes, um, the cornerbacks on this team and defensive backs on this team were an absolute raging dumpster fire last year. And I don't. I know you you queued up the um, the Greg Williams talk for, for later on in the chat. And, and I'm, I'm down for that, but like, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much of what was going on on defense was just, he didn't trust these guys. And so he's playing ridiculous schemes because of it. Um, but I know that the entire front seven on this team would, would have looked a lot better had there been any kind of capability, both at safety and at cornerback. And the Browns went after that position with a gusto last year. Um, I love the yep. idea of Demarius Randall plugging back into to, to his uh, free safety spot. I thought he was a, a, a better than expected player cornerback with Packers. And I think that he'll only be better at free safety where he can kind of play to his strengths. But I love the addition of EJ Gaines. I love um, TJ Curry. I thought that they added not only capability, they raised the bar, but they also raised the ceiling on what these guys can do when they're at their best. Um, it bums me out seeing the, the report that Pete Smith wrote about um, that EJ Gaines might not be happy about having to compete for his spot. But I think that this is a guy that um, from day one of free agency, I'd, I'd identified as a, as a great pickup for the Browns. And I was so excited that they got him. And I honestly don't think that there's going to be any problem with him um, picking up opposite uh, Denzel Ward in the starting lineup. And I know you're a big TJ Curry guy, but um, I just think that um, the, the biggest turnaround on this team is in that defensive backfield where all of a sudden they went from having – a bunch of question marks to a bunch of guys who have at least played the position in the league and have shown flashes of success. Yeah, no, you, you, you mentioned a lot of the names that, that I've got on my, on my list as well. And, and yeah, I mean, I like the names that we added for, for multiple reasons across the board, but you know, I, I did have some questions about how much cash uh, that we threw at some of these guys. It is mm-hmm. um, very, 
in line with, with Dorsey's history. And, you know, it makes you wonder in the next couple, you know, two, three years where, you know, what kind of position that will put us in. And I'm not a cap guru by any means, but um, anyways, that, that, that's, that's the, the detractor from these free agent additions. But, uh, you know, on offense, uh, for me, Tyrod Taylor, uh, you know, giving up the third round draft pick to get him essentially at first, I wasn't necessarily really sure about, but again, to, to go back to what we led the podcast off with is now we have two, two quarterbacks on this roster who are solid, solid plus on, on what they can do on the field, which is a breath of fresh air, something that we've never had before. And he also allows us to, to kind of say, Hey, you know what, we're, we're going to try to win games now. And you don't do that with a rookie quarterback. I don't care if he's a first-round pick. I, I want that quarterback to have some time to develop, to, to learn the pace of the game, to learn how to read the NFL defense, you know, to learn the playbook, not only learn it, but actually go out there and not have to think about it. Um, you know, I, it, to me, it doesn't matter if, you know, he, he doesn't play in, in, you know, his rookie season. Um, I don't think that is a negative thing. So uh, I'm all about Tyrod Taylor on, on offense as being my, you know, my favorite addition. And I think a guy that's going to be uh, key for the team, obviously, as we go into the season um, on defense, uh, if mine is, was Randall as well, I, I getting him back to his natural position after succeeding, you know, with the changes in green Bay, um, I think is going to bring him some confidence and, um, you know, I expect him to get his hand on a, a lot of thrown balls and, um, you know, possibly reel in four or five, six interceptions um, if things go his way. So uh, I, I have to agree with that. And, you, you know, you kind of stole that gusto from me, but uh, that's all right. Um, so let's, 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 let's move things along. Um, let's, let's do a quick, I guess, uh, arrow up, arrow down type of discussion, meaning, you know, let's, let's talk about a position group on the team that, that you feel um, has the, the, the highest arrow up, status right now and then let's talk about a position group that that you know has the the biggest arrow down or the biggest concern um so yeah let, let, let's start there how about how about on on uh on the upside where what position group do you like the most on the browns right now um so i'm gonna actually avoid the easy answers to both both offense and defense like the easy answers to be like oh quarterback obviously we got three guys who aren't a bag of expletive deleted um and, and right. I'm excited to see, like, obviously that's the, the position that influences every other. Like, that's clearly and obviously the, the biggest uh, arrow up um, on this team, especially coming from a team that had uh, the fungus Kevin Hogan taking live uh, snaps and having people on message boards arguing about um, being the QB of the future for, for this Cleveland Brown squad. So I'm going to move on from that, and I'm going to talk about the running backs. Um Because I think that, honestly, for me, that is the biggest uh, turnaround from last year to this year. I thought that last year... Um, a combination of the scheme and the usage uh, of Isaiah Crowell led to him really, really struggling, and the Browns just kind of giving up and abandoning the, the run. I think that this year with Todd Haley and uh, the, watching the work that he did in Pittsburgh where he really tried to protect uh, Ben Roethlisberger and take some of the stress off of him and keep him from throwing the ball 50 times a game, he did good work with Le'Veon Bell. I love this group. I love uh, Duke Johnson more than any of the three other three guys on the ro- or the other two guys on the roster, um, and I'm hoping that a, a more inventive OC and a more functional offense gives him the snaps both as a running back and coming out of the backfield that he deserves. Um, a lot of people worried about the fit with him and uh, Jarvis Landry because they've run a lot of running back-ish kind of routes for Jarvis Landry, mm-hmm. at least they did last year in, in, in Miami. 
a lot of the orbit routes where, where they hit him coming out of the backfield and, and, and they're using him essentially as uh, a Duke Johnson type player. I think that what that should allow them to do, uh, you know, fingers crossed, prayers up, is, is use Duke Johnson more as a, a standard type running back, give him the ball on carries where he is very effective uh, running the ball and also use him um, on plays where he's catching the ball coming out of the backfield and not just uh, flaring him out and using him as a slot receiver depending on uh, depending on the formations that they see the defense lined up in, but actually as uh, you know, pass-catching running back. Because I think that um, when he is a dual threat in that kind of role, he is just going to crush. And I love uh, the, the draft pick of Nick Chubb. I think that he is the between-the-back bruiser that Hugh Jackson has always kind of wanted. He is uh, a better version of Jeremy Hill that he had in Cincinnati that year that Hill just absolutely murdered the Browns. So um, I'm really looking forward to the combination of skill sets there. And again, just like we were saying with the defensive backs, uh, a lot of people were upset that they, they gave some real money to Carlos Hyde. And it wasn't a lot. It was it was running back standard kind of money. But um, what they did there is they ensured that, you know, by week six, we're not running practice squad guys out there. Even if Nick Chubb wins the competition and, you know, Carlos Hyde is inactive on game day, you know that they can plug and play and that, that is going to come out here and is going to be professional, is going to be able to execute the offense. And uh, in a year in which a lot of jobs are on the line and they've said you're going to go out and win games, it's nice to have three guys out there that you can count on day in, day out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that you uh, you brought up the running back group because I agree. I, I think you also brought up a point that, that I I think has been kind of surfaced out there a little bit on, on the interwebs. But, um, you know, Duke Johnson being used more, it's not a primary back, but, you know, being used more as a running back, tr- you know, true running back uh, as opposed to just being used as like a slot receiver or something like that, right? Um, but uh, – but yeah, no, I think I think that's a great group to to pinpoint, and and I want to actually pinpoint the group that that you spoke about earlier, and and really just because of the influx of of players and and of young players and talent in that group, and that's the the you know the cornerback group. Um, I, I think we've we've named a lot of the names already. You know, Denzel Ward's uh, you know abilities and his athleticism, uh, both in coverage on man coverage, um, and just you know being able to to read the game. And, and help and run support even. Um, he's just a dynamic player. Um, so adding him is, is definitely adding to that arrow up status for me. And then a bunch of the other names that we've already discussed, whether it's Randall, whether it's Curry, Gaines, um, you know, Mitchell, um, you name it down, down the line. If, if we, you know, make a move here in July and can go up and get Beal, who some, you know, some of the guys that have, have mentioned the Browns might have an interest in. And, and I think John Dorsey was personally at his workout recently, um, you know, that just adds to that pool uh, for me as to, to why the, the arrow is pointing up for for that position. Um, real real quick, while you're on it, I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little disconcerted about the field news. I think that he is a really dynamic player and and really exciting, but I worry that there already isn't enough snaps for the guys that they have on the roster. And my concern already is that they're going to lose track of guys like Body Calhoun that that are actually good cornerbacks or guys like Curry. I think uh, deserve the snaps, and I'm worried that we're just going to have too many irons in that fire. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping, on a side note, that they take a pass on that in the supplemental draft. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, in terms of a roster spot, right? That, that's essentially what it is. It's a red-shirted roster spot for him. He's right, going right. to sit at the bottom of the depth chart, and um, although it is one of the hardest positions to transition to, right after quarterback, in, in my opinion, um, in, in, you know, from college to the NFL, it essentially buys him a year so that. 
he's well ahead of the curve for the other, you know, other draft picks um, next year. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but aside from that value add kind of situation, I, I, I don't know if we're going to put a, a pick up there high enough to, to get him. And to your point, I think it does cloud some of the, the depth we already have, mm -hmm. but um, regardless, as it stands right now, I think the group's arrow is pointed up and I'm excited to see how they're, you know, how they're utilized and, and how they perform on Sundays. Um, what about your, your biggest area of concern or your arrow down group? Where does that point for you? So I got two, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one on offense and one on defense. I think on defense, uh, there is legitimate cause for concern with the defensive line. I think that trading away Shelton, um, who obviously wasn't a penetrator, he wasn't a guy that really fit Greg Williams' defensive schemes, um, is a little bit of a concern uh, in that like they're just expecting a lot from the trio of Agba, Garrett, and Ogunjobi. And, and my concern is that I think that they're going to try to um, use uh, um, Jamie Collins and um, Michael Kendricks as pass rushers that they're going to bring them up the middle and a lot of A-gap kind of blitzes, and they're going to hide the, the, the poor interior pressure that they had last year um, by playing guys like Coley a lot more, but bringing the pressure up the middle or bringing the pressure from other places. And I just really wish that they would um, that they would have addressed that position a little bit better. I thought that there was a lot of really fun defensive tackles in the draft available when they could have taken them. Uh, and they just chose to, to kind of punt on that interior defensive line. And I think that that is something that come – Later on the season, we're going to be uh, a little bit concerned about. Um, on offense, the, the same is true. Um, they threw a lot of players at the offensive line, but they, it seemed like they brought in a lot of guys that kind of profile best as um, guards. It seems like they have a lot of good interior guys and a lot of guys that are that are flexible. But the only guy I feel good about this year um, plugging in at the tackle position is uh, is Hubbard, who they got out of. Yep. Pittsburgh. I really like Hubbard, uh, and they've kind of said from day one, like, we're going to play him at right tackle uh, and not at left tackle, um, and I'm concerned that that left tackle is just going to be a revolving spot. I don't love Corbett there. I, I think that he's going to get the first crack at it. Um, I wish they would have at least a little bit more uh, seriously considered rolling Batonio out to left tackle and playing, um, playing guys like Durango or Corbett at left guard. Um, but I respect that they didn't want to screw with something that they already knew was, was, was a plus by, by taking away from a position of strength. Um, but those are the two places. And, and, and obviously, like, teams are built in the trenches. Um, they, they've added the supporting talent um, and guys like Tyrod Taylor that, that kind of mitigate not having a top five offensive line anymore. But, but I am concerned about those two spots. Yeah, no, I, unfortunately for me, again, you, you've taken both of my spots. Um, <laughs> defensive, defensive line, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the areas of concern for me, especially if we're going to be, you know, running more uh, of a, a four-man front, um, and, you know, as Greg has alluded to, wanting to do a little bit more this season. I just worry about the, the depth um, in the middle there. And, again, like you mentioned, there was a lot of players in, in the draft, especially – uh, in the third round when we took a defensive end from uh, from Miami, uh, who doesn't really profile as a uh, defensive tackle or a nose tackle type um, player, um, I, I felt that maybe we could have uh, been in a position to, to take a, a defensive tackle there. Um, so that's, that definitely worries me, especially if there's an injury, then now you're, you're down to, you know, meter being a starter or um, uh, Caleb Brantley being a starter, who in his own right is, was you know, a talented player, but still yet, 
um, that that area um, or that that group is a concern for me. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and if we're able to maybe grab a couple players that are you know cut from from rosters throughout camp, um, those types of things. Because uh, I think yeah, we definitely need to uh, you know monitor that group and and, and hope that things uh, you know play out well for us across the season there. Um, and then on, on the offensive front, you're you know losing Joe Thomas. You're, you're never going to replace a guy like that. I don't care who you bring in. I don't care who you draft. I don't care who you you know you kick out from from guard to tackle. It's ne- never going to replace you know Joe Thomas. And I think the uh, you know the the flow of our offense is going to depend highly on the offensive line. I think that goes for you know both how we run the ball plus, you know, and how we pass the ball. So for, for me, it's going to you know a, a big question mark is at the left tackle position. Um, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Sean Coleman? Is it going to be Corbett? Uh, you know, is it going to be some guy that, that we're not even naming right now? Um, oh, God, I hope not. But, it, yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what transpires. Um, but, yeah, both, both the, the bookends of the offensive line definitely are going to be uh, of a concern for me as we go into the season. Are you, um, is there any thought that the guy that we're not talking about right now is uh, Desmond Harrison? Uh, I, uh, I hope not. I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I just I, I continue to see quotes that they love this guy uh, they love this guy in OTAs that that he has the the makeup of what they're looking for at tackle and he might be one of the surprise contenders to kind of sneak into one of those tackle spots. Interesting. I I, I to be honest, I that, that's a guy that has slipped under my radar. So I was a little confused by by, by the name you threw out there, but I mean. Again, that, that that just goes to to, your, to my point before is you know who knows I'm not really sure who's going to be the guy who who steps up and wins that left tackle spot or that right tackle spot or you know if the Browns are going to change their approach. But for for me, it's definitely something to keep an eye on because it's you know we've been accustomed to Joe Thomas there for so long that um, I, I expect a, a bumpy ride to, to to begin the season um, <laughs> per our standards. Okay, so I know we're we're running short on time a little bit. Um, I don't know. Is there any any burning you know questions or anything that you have that or any topics that you want to go through? I mean, I have a couple things on on the list here, but uh, I mean, we can talk about schedule predictions. We can yeah. Talk let's talk about, about you know, let's talk about expectations. I th- I think now is the time that I want to get you on okay. record talking okay. about things like four. <laughs> Like four wins being the floor for this team and seven wins being the ceiling. I think that those are the kind of things that when we play this again six or seven years from now will bring me the greatest amount of joy busting your balls about. Right. I mean, there's been rumors that, you know, that's the best case scenario. It was written down on an index card somewhere, but I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never said that. Um, no, but for real. I, I, so for the listeners out there going into the, you know, before this podcast, I sat down and I'm, I'm thinking about stuff to talk about. And, um, the schedule prediction, uh, we'll just say trend within Brown's Twitter that took over the internet last week or the week before was some gentleman that, you know, courageously predicted that we'd take, uh, you know, 10 wins this season. And, you know, obviously that caught, caught fire. He, he caught heat and it was like this, this event, right? It was crazy. And uh, I feel bad for the man, but he sucked by his guns and good for him. Um, but yeah, so I went through it and I kind of did mine, right? And I did a best case and a worst case scenario. And what, what, you know, I'll be interested to see, you know, where you're coming from, Josh, when, when you say you, you, it's kind of laughable worst case scenario being four wins. Um, I, I know I'm very well aware of where this team is coming from. Um, and, 
I think that given the the additions that we made, specifically at quarterback, getting a quarterback into the organization who has has won, ha- has been in a lo- losing organization and taking them to the playoffs, uh, and is by far and away, I think, an undervalued quarterback in the NFL. Um, doesn't turn the ball over, makes smart decisions, um, those types of things that have plagued the Browns for years and years and years and game in and game out, um, in addition to you know not calling timeouts or accepting the right penalties or running options with one second left and no timeouts, you know, coaching mistakes. <laughs> so in addition to those things, I just – He's going to be a steady, a steady enough presence within the season to to get us to my expectation, which is the worst case scenario, which is four wins. Um, I think as I look at the schedule, there's there's a handful of, of options that, where you can find those four wins. But for me, I, sure, three and thirteen is that worst case? Sure, that's worse than four and twelve. Could I see it happening? Yes, but. I would like to see us get to four and twelve as the worst case scenario. I think that, given what we have on on the roster, it's, it's very possible to do. Um, and then, you know, we catch a couple breaks, and I think we can be a seven and nine team. Best case scenario. That's 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 a huge jump. That's a huge leap in, in a number of a number of games, a number of situations. But again, I think um, you know, with with Tyrod Taylor being a, a more steady type of a player and the team maybe being able to, to get some momentum, um, you know, coming off of a couple wins earlier in the season, et cetera. I think that, you know, the range for us is four, four and 12 to seven and nine. Uh, All right. And that, that's where I'm at. So I want to agree with everything you said. Like, honestly, like I am a very, I'm more excited about this Browns football season than I have been for a decade. Like I've been a, you can you can search the Twitter timeline. Like I've been a huge proponent of Tyrod Tyrod Taylor and his game for years. Ever since that first preseason game that he played against the Browns when he was with Buffalo, the first year that he won that job, when they kind of expected EJ Manuel to be the the guy um, that was going to play that year, and he came out and he looked like a professional quarterback. And when I say he looked like a professional quarterback, I don't mean he was making NFL throws. I mean he was making NFL checks to the line. I mean he was throwing with touch. I mean that when the plays broke down, he made good decisions. I said, you know what, you could do a lot worse than. Uh, than Tyrod Taylor. And sure enough, like he came out there and he played like a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback. And people view that as an insult. People think that that is a nasty thing to say about somebody. Like, oh, he's middle-of-the-road. Like, no, the Browns would cut off their pinky finger for consistent middle-of-the-road quarterback play for a guy who's maybe not in the top 10, but sure as hell is not in the bottom 10 of the league. And I think that's what you're going to get with Tyrod Taylor. I think Jake Burns' Twitter series um, where he went play-by-play through a lot of good examples of Tyrod Taylor's play was spot on. Tyrod mm-hmm. Taylor is not in the top 10 quarterbacks, not because of his height, not because he's a dual threat guy. He is in the top. He is not in the top 10 quarterbacks because he misses open guys sometimes in the middle of the field. And that's okay. He's not always going to make the, the, the sterling play that you see Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, like the wide open guy. He doesn't reflexively make that play. But what he does do is he doesn't make the boneheaded bullshit things that we've been watching for the last five, six years of quarterbacks just making complete head-scratching decisions at the absolute worst time. He's going to move the chains. He's going to protect the football. He's going to execute the offense. He's going to run the plays that that, uh, Todd Haley wants him to play. And that's great. When Todd Haley came out and said, this is the best quarterback room I've worked with, that's the kind of stuff that he's talking about. He's talking about a guy who's going to come out here and he's going to run the offense, and he's going to run it professionally. And it's not going to be perfect – 
but it's going to be good. It's going to be B minus quarterback play. And that's great. And I'm super, super excited about it. And that in and of itself, a lot of Browns fans think is going to bring them from winning zero games to winning seven games. That is the biggest uh, agent of change they see. And then that's, you know, not looking at having a full season of Josh Gordon, not looking at uh, having a good running back room, not having better defensive backs. Like that one thing is the fulcrum of what the where the optimism comes from. And I'm there for it. I am intrinsically super duper here for it. I love Tyrod Taylor. I'm excited to watch him play football for the Cleveland Browns. That being said, and we've traded a lot of texts about this over the last couple months, like I just, until I see better from Hugh Jackson and from Greg Williams, like I'm going to remain a little bit skeptical. I love that we're not running the bullshit offense that we ran in 2017. I love that we're not throwing 50% of our passes 20 yards downfield to the boundary to receivers who can't catch. I love that we're not going to abandon the running game in the first quarter of the game. Like I love that all of these things that we're doing that we're just literally head scratchers to 70,000 people in the stadium and 50,000 people on the internet that are watching the game that are discussing it. Like those things should shrink. We should see less of that kind of stuff. But until we see cogent defensive schemes that play to the strength of the talent that they're at and offensive schemes that minimize risk and that are, are putting your playmakers in a position where they can make plays, I'm going to remain skeptical. And that, and when I, when I say Skeptical, that doesn't mean that I'm not excited. That doesn't mean I'm not looking forward to it and that I don't think that this team will be light years better than what we've seen before. But I just need to see grown-ups making grown-up decisions on the Browns' sidelines. And so that's where I'm at with it. So that's why I laugh when you say the floor is four wins. Like Obviously, when I look at the talent that's on this team, when you look at the places that this team needed an infusion of skill from guys at the quarterback position, at the defensive back position, at the linebacker position. They, they went out and aggressively pursued those, and God bless John, John Dorsey for doing that. Um, but I need to see adults making adult decisions with those players. So um, I do believe that this team is going to be uh, a lot better, but at the end of the day, I just don't see something that should give me confidence that this team is capable of winning enough games to save the jobs of the coaches that are there. And I think that once the coaches start to get desperate, once they don't see the Ws piling up, that would guarantee that they're going to win enough games to stick around, that I think that they do some weird stuff. I think they get desperate, and I, I think you start looking at guys like Baker Mayfield, and you start wondering, like, when are you going to go to that? When are things going to happen? When are, like, dramatic things going to start to happen? Like they do every single year in Cleveland Browns territory. Um, so so I'll be I'll be waiting with, with bated breath to see if they can just, you know, be adults, be grown-ups, run, run this team like adults should run this team and not make – ridiculous decision that uh, Monday morning quarterbacks on Twitter can, can easily question and, and, and can tear apart. And you bring up a great point, Josh, you do. And, you know, I think you're allowed to be both excited and skeptical at the same time. I think yes. that's just the very nature of being a Cleveland Browns fan, especially over the last 10 years. Um, you know, I think that's, that's absolutely fine. And I think I share that same sentiment and that same, you know, feeling about this team. Um, you know, you also bring up another good point about coaching. And, you know, I've debated it and talked about it on Twitter time and time again. I've written an article about it, talked about nature uh, a while ago. I mean, you, you got to have coaching. It's not just about talent. Um, you know, what's more important than the other? That's that's a discussion for another, you know, podcast, another debate. But Ooh, it's a good it, one now. You, you, you bring up a great point, right? And, and you know, Everything sounds good right now. The talent that we're talking about, I'm excited about. I, I legitimately am to the point where, again, based on the talent, 
I think we can get to those, those marks that I mentioned. Now, to your point, I think that's a great point is when it comes to an actual, you know, mental battle of football coaches versus coaches, scheme versus scheme adjustments in, in real time. That's where I think the true litmus test is for this group. And, and to your point, I, I, you know, Hugh Jackson did not pass that test. He's kind of passed that responsibility over to Todd Haley. Right. Todd Haley, we know, is, is proven at doing that. So now hopefully he can infuse that into the offense. Now on the defensive side, I, I do still question some of the, you know, the, some of the schemes, the decisions that, that Greg Williams has in terms of where he's playing players and what he's doing, and hopefully we don't see those again this season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, best case, everything starts to come together well. You know, I think the team has the talent to, to do some good things. Um, yeah. I, 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 I never really even considered the point that, that you made. Again, another good point that, you know, what happens if things start to go south? And, you know, now, now, now the coaches start reaching and they start worrying about their job. And now they're going to do crazy stuff and start playing the rookie when they shouldn't be playing the rookie and on down the line, et cetera. Um, I think that could be a catastrophe that we don't want to talk about. So we won't talk about that. Um, I think I think the one but, point that I want to make that that ties on to that entire rant is that this Browns team in 2018 is going to have to score points to win. I think that most people who watched this team last year and who watched it over the last decade understand that the defense as it exists, despite the fact that it has young, talented, uh, exciting players, is not going to be a top 15 unit in the league at defending the pass. And so this team is going to have to score some points to win some games. So, so at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the offense to be able to carry that and make that happen. And I have yet to see if they could rise to that level. And that's all I'm saying. Right. No, I agree. I think, again, your, your, your critiques are accurate and spot on. I think we're both hyped. I think we're both excited. Um, I think, you know, we have reason to be. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun training camp. Um, that will be kicking off here, uh, what, in like three, four weeks? I think July 26th is the, is the first day of uh, training camp. We're so close. Um, out there in Berea. I, I'm not a fan of the Elf, so that's another <laughs> uh, topic for debate at another time. I, I think the Elf is terrible. Um, God just bless this team and, and everyone involved in it if, if we go to the Elf at any point in time as a logo. Uh, but let's put a pin. Anyway, let's put so, a pin in that. Let's put a pin in elf discussion and whether coaching matters more than talent. I want to. I want to talk about those next month. Perfect. Let's let's do that. We'll, we'll, Brown fans out there that are listening, there you go. You got a little prequel um, yeah. into what we'll be talking about next next month or maybe around the beginning of training camp. So, with that said, Josh, I just want to thank you for for jumping on and, and joining. Um, Anyone who is still with us listening, thank you for, for joining the ride as Josh and I discuss all things Browns offseason. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to more interactions and more great debates in the, uh, the months to come. So, Josh, thanks again, man. You have a, a good night, and we will uh, we'll talk with you again here soon. Yeah, man, brother. Always good to catch up with you. All right. Talk to you. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> 
We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.